Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Welcome back to Gov Actually. It's the it's the hot dog days of summer edition of Gov Actually. Yes. It's the middle of the summer of 2017. Not much going on in Washington DC these days. We uh, well we tried to get a guest but everyone is um, is at their, you know, personal equivalent of Mar-a-Lago apparently. <laughs> yeah, everyone's on vacation. Actually, that's one of those things where I've gotten myself into trouble a few times when I've kind of assumed that the summer's quiet, but but a lot of federal agencies are working on their budget submission, which is right. due. Um, let's see, it's due in September, like like the first week of September. So for the Gov Actually crowd, summer is the busiest time of the year. It can be. Yeah, it's when it's when budgets, as you said, are being developed for the next year. It's when the appropriations process is in high swing. All the all the fancy people are gone. But all the people who are actually all the people yes. who are doing the work, they're on Martha's and grinding. Vineyard. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Are grinding away and getting those reports written, or not getting to those that hearings the, scheduled. Not or, to mention that the fiscal year is ending exactly right? on September thirtieth. So if you're an acquisition person, you've never seen Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know that you get paid enough to. Well, see there's Martha's that. Vineyard. Yeah, good point. That's a good point. Right. So it's, as it turns out, even though it feels like, you know, the dog days of summer and people are away, and there does, in the national capital region, a lot less traffic in the summer. And I think that has to do with um, schools being out, Congress being out of session. I've, I've, I've always often thought, like, why does the traffic go down so much, like, sometime around early June, and then, like, the day after Labor Day, it's like all the traffic is back. And it's, I guess it's the schools being closed. But it always makes me feel like, gosh, it doesn't feel like the government is in full swing. But the reality is, is people in our world, the worlds that we were in when we were in the government, right. they're super busy right now. That's, that's full swing. Yeah. That's full swing. And uh, I think that that's, uh, you pointed out, and, and it's kind of the underlying theme of this discussion, that for anything to work, it, it all comes down to the resources, the human resources and the the economic resources to get it done. Um, acquisition is part of it. So these are this is the this is the moment when people are are working on budgets. They'll determine who they can hire, who they can't, what they can buy or what they can't, and then they're working on. You know, it's that classic thing that last three months of the fiscal year, people sprinting to get their budget obligated. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting is there's, you know, a certain amount of coverage around uh, the president's 2018 budget, which was um, released in May. Um, that was the, the, yeah, so there was the, the early version of the budget, which the we skinny saw. Budget. The skinny budget. And then there was the... The fuller budget. The fuller budget. I'm surprised how little coverage there was. Well, but, but, but part of that coverage was this notion that it's just a blueprint, that, that, it, that it, you know, a lot of people say it's maybe dead on arrival in Congress, which, by the way, I think gets said about Everybody. every budget. And so the most likely scenario is that you're planning for on October 1st 
to either have a um, a continuing resolution, a government shutdown, or shutdown threat, but not necessarily a a new appropriation starting on October first. And people say, well, how do you how do you plan for that? And the reality is, is like, when's the last time Congress enacted an appropriation? in time for October 1st of a new fiscal year. Well, we don't, we don't have gov actually fact checkers, but, um, I don't think, I don't think we've had, I can't remember. Certainly personal. not all the appropriations bills passed. I, I feel like I want to get my computer out and Google it, but it has been a long, I, I can't remember a time where you weren't starting the year on a CR, at least of for some part, sort. But of CR some sort. used to be short though. They used to literally be like a week. They, yeah. were, they were back right. in the early '90s. They were they were short. I mean, we did have yes, the shutdown. They were thinking like extenuating well, circumstances. And a shutdown that was that was that was complete in, insanity. Yeah. The yeah. idea that there would be a shutdown. Yeah, and now it doesn't feel as crazy. I guess since it happened in the fall of 2013, yes. relatively recently, and there's been a variety of Lots threats, of threats about it and concerns. And the other thing we didn't mention is the debt limit is hitting soon. Right. And so that is uh, another kind of piece of the puzzle for the su- for to keeping people busy this summer, because you have to plan for contingencies around debt limit as well. Because, again, you would expect the Congress has enacted a debt limit increase in every situation since the founding of the republic. But you still have to prepare for certain contingencies. And there's a possibility that we could have a lapse in cash. It's a possibility we could have a lapse in appropriations. In the meantime, we're doing all this other work. So it is, this is not easy stuff um, for the people that are in the trenches of these government agencies because when things go wrong, um, they'll get blamed. So uh, it's really, really important that, uh, that, um, that people recognize the the challenges and the constraints that the government workforce is under right now. So I, I want to go back to the debt limit just so long, just long enough to like put a stake in it and say, we got to come back and do a whole separate podcast on the debt limit. Yeah. I think that that's really fascinating. It's really interesting because it's really important to understand what are the implications of it. I think my, my I grew up in OMB um, with an understanding and a training that that this was something that, that we could never let happen because if the debt limit was ever breached, it would be cataclysmic uh, from a macroeconomic standpoint, that it would lead to worldwide global recession and, and be really, really problematic. I, I, I therefore believe it because I was trained on it, but I'm not sure that I could um, easily articulate so I, I all just, the pieces of why that is. I think it's astonishing, though, that that is the the – the widely held view, right? So in, in essence, the breaching the debt limit is the equivalent of that big red button on the panel that says do not push. And I don't know, I, the, the thought that someone would say, let's see if it's attached to anything is really horrifying to me. But that's why we need to do it. Well, whole, so let's bring someone on board to kind yeah. of explain, uh, bring someone on the show to explain to us like the, the domino effect of what happens if the government defaulted and what what we could expect and why it's so cataclysmic because mm-hmm. there are I think there are there are members of Congress and others who have said well maybe we sh- maybe we shouldn't 
you know, raise the debt limit ceiling as a kind of a, as a fiscal austerity measure of some kind. Yeah, and that one, that's striking me. I, that, that viewpoint is not completely alien to me, but what's, what is frustrating is that these are the people in charge of the appropriations process. And the reason why there is a debt, li- there is a debt issue is because they've just over-appropriated money. So, yeah, well, this was a big uh, President Obama talking point right. that these are not new debts that we're incurring, right. that we already have incurred the debts. So we've already taken out our credit card right. and charged for the good or service. And now if we don't raise the debt limit, we're basically welshing on the credit card debt that we've incurred versus opening up all new spending. I guess the other side of the equation is, though, and you it's mean a vicious that in a non pejorative way towards wealth people. Towards which people? <laughs> Towards which people? Never mind. It was a comment on the Welshing. Well, oh, did I, oh, is that oh, yeah. a bad thing? Oh, no, I walked right into it. Yeah. Are you Welsh? <laughs> no, I'm not. But well, if you, I, I apologize. Yeah, Billy, can we edit this whole segment? Out? <laughs> <laughs> I had a Welsh span. I didn't even think. Like, yeah. I, I will use terms like that and, and not true. even think of it. I, yeah. I've done dumb yeah, things you, in my life. You're getting. You're getting older. Let me tell you a quick <laughs> story. Actually, I was. Um, when I was at the Justice Department, um, I uh, I guess I knew, like, so I worked um, in disability rights, and I guess I knew the basic rule was that you, you don't pet a service animal. But we They're were... so cute. I know, and we were at this, like, it was like a, it was like a part, like a going away party-ish thing. So people were somewhat festive. Right. And there was a service animal there. And I was standing next to the, the person who, uh, uh, in, uh, person who was blind who had the service animal. And um, so the service animal was right next to me, like right next to my leg. And then it, it rolled on its back and put its, its legs and its hind legs in the air. And I was like, what do you do? Like, so I leaned down and I scratched its belly. I didn't, it was like an immediate and reaction. Whole, and the whole oh my and gosh. It was so embarrassing. Cause really? it was like, I had just done like this awful thing. I had pet. A <laughs> In the middle animal. of a room of people yes, who deeply was, sensitive to you. Yes. It was so embarrassing. So the fact that I just used that term and it probably offended people is like part of it my. It didn't offend anyone. Okay. I hope. I hope. I am not. Maybe. I, 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 you know, it's like I'm not but, against but, political correctness. I'm just, I'm bad at political correctness. But I'm hoping Billy marked this whole section so we can cut it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I, I don't know. All right. So, uh, I'm fine with it. But we said we're not going to talk about the debt ceiling. So let's, let's switch over to the other part, which is this idea that people are trying to finalize the fiscal year, right? And as you're doing that, you're going to move into another fiscal year. And now you have to decide what are the resources that you're going to have at your disposal in that fiscal year. Is it going to be what's in the president's budget? Is it going to be what's been in just about every CR since 2010? Is it going to be something behind door number three? And I would argue that... This year is particularly challenging because the president's 2018 budget is such a major, major change from a lot of agencies' steady state. So, for example, if you are operating at a certain funding level and the president's budget is a 2% decrease or a 2% increase and you're trying to plan for that, it's within it's within range. You can You can envision... Um, some modifications and some different scenarios to encapsulate a 2% differential. But if you're looking more like a 10 or a 15% difference, um, especially on the cut side, 
um, that's very, very different. And, you know, and it's, it must, it, it, it's very challenging to be confronted with the fact that you're hearing on the news and by pundits and other experts and even maybe some inside government experts that that 10 or 15 percent cut is never going to happen. But it is the president's policy. And how do you not plan for something that is the president's policy? And so it adds yet another com- complexity so, so to So imagine to yourself a manager of a federal program that's proposed in the, in the president's budget for zeroing out. But you've had your hearing, and Congress is telling you there's no way they're zeroing it out. And you've gotten the advocacy community coming in and saying they're going to throw themselves in front of the train and, and prevent this from being zeroed out. How do you, the manager of that program, respond? Do you start, you know, providing people with RIF notices in September? No, definitely not. I think there's definitely um, kind of a, a management discipline for how you deal with these types of situations. I think there's a there's a kind of a risk management way of of going about it, where you essentially, and, and maybe maybe the, I don't want to be overly kind of precise here, but you assign various probabilities to different events and you invest the appropriate amount of resources. There are, we plan for things in the government all the time that have a low probability of happening, but yet we plan for it. Uh, We probably have more intense planning around higher probability activities. So the notion of some type of, let's say, really cataclysmic uh, event occurring in Lafayette Park you know, the odds of it happening are hopefully very remote, but I'm sure the park police and the Secret Service have plans around different scenarios in which that happened. But are they plan- Are they dealing with that every day, night and day? No, they will have kind of a, a modest set of drills associated be- with the remoteness of that activity. But something more real, like a like more not real, but more likely, like a demonstration. Uh, of some kind, not cataclysmic, but like a protest or a demonstration coming up Pennsylvania Avenue or something like that. They have to plan for the logistics on that. And that's more regular order. So there's more activities that go into that. So just like with with anything, I think you don't want to ignore something that's that's at least within the realm of possibility, like a budget, a big budget cut being passed by Congress because there's some last minute deal making and it goes through. You know, we have we have a we have one party that controls the presidency, the Senate, and the House. So the notion that anything on President Trump's agenda is impossible makes no sense to me because the, the the Republican Party can come together and pass something. They have they have the votes to do it. That being said, if the if the wisdom on the street is that it's very very unlikely, then it might not make sense for the government agency to spend all its time and resources investing in an unlikely scenario. All right. Well, let's let's come back to that because uh, I think that there's a, a certain element of deep statism in, in inherent in that the question of do you just do you do exactly what the president tells you to do, or do you wait to see what Congress tells you to do, knowing that they uh, own the the purse strings? And I think that is the tension that people who actually run and operate and manage the actual parts of the the government operations have to deal with every day. Great. Let's resolve that tension when we get back. Okay. GovActually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. 
GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. And Seamless Docs, the fastest, easiest way to move all your administrative data collection processes to the cloud. Seamless Docs helps make government beautiful. All right, Danny, we're back, and you said we have to get a movie reference in here somehow. We do, because someone complained to me that that the O'Malley podcast didn't have a movie reference. I know, I know. But I, there's a there's I I mean I don't want to be the guy to break the news, but there's probably an O'Malley movie coming out. In which case, the whole podcast will be. Is there really? No, but that'd that be a be great awesome. movie. It'd be a great movie, and then yes. the whole podcast will be in the movie, and then the podcast will be a movie reference. Oh gosh! In and of itself. Well, I was you know there was you know who did make a movie, David Walker. Remember the GAO yeah, guy yeah, who made the David movie Walker. about about our rising unsustainable debt. Wow. And I was like, I was hoping. Did you see that movie? I did. I need to, is it Netflixable or? I don't know. It might be YouTubeable. Okay. But I remember like I was interviewing David like at uh, some JFMIP conference, which is a financial management conference. That's a deep cut right there. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Yeah, It's a very limited invitation list there. So I'm interviewing him and, uh, and at the end of the interview, I said something like, so was this good enough? Like, do I get into the movie? Because the movie was in production oh, at that yeah. point. And everyone laughed, and I didn't get into the movie. So apparently, well, barely not. my interview barely wasn't not. Uh, wasn't good enough. So, right. so okay, so I, I don't even, I don't, I'm sad to say I don't remember the name of that David Walker movie. But, so I, I don't know if it counts as our movie reference. Okay. There could be a Groundhog Day play here because of the, you coming back to the budget every year. Coming back, coming back. Hopefully, you're getting it better. Yeah, it's a good movie. That's amazing. It's a good movie. All right, well, we'll, we'll I think it's a good movie. I haven't seen it in years. Oh, I've seen. I saw it recently. Like on Groundhog Day, it literally is on, like on a 24-hour loop. It's like it's like a Christmas story. It's like on over and over and over again. Yes, it's on over and over and over again. It's a little self-referential. Some channel deep in my in my cable. And last February, I watched it like a couple of times, I think. It was just so good. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, well, there are some movies that just don't stand up to going back and, and watching them. So I, I watched uh, Yeah, it's like, does the movie hold up or not? So I, I watched Groundhog Day Caddyshack recently. Does it not hold it up? Was, it was, it was um, I could understand why a 13-year-old me thought it was a really brilliant movie. I'll just put it that way. I haven't seen that movie in a while, and I thought it was brilliant and awesome, too. And I'm surprised that it doesn't yeah. hold up. The Blues Brothers, actually, strangely, doesn't. Does that hold up? Yeah, it probably holds up better than it did when it first came out, because it was a major flop. It's so good, though. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, anything with Ray Charles in it has got to be just good by yeah. inclusion. Aretha Franklin was in that. Yeah, I think, Aretha. wasn't Carrie Fisher in that movie, yeah, too? She was, she yeah, was. she was. She uh, was. That's early Carrie Fisher. Mid Carrie Fisher, really? Yeah, it's post Taxi Driver. Is it post Star Wars? Oh, yes, yeah, post Star Wars. Okay, all right, then then it definitely is mid Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. peak Carrie Fisher. Peak Carrie Fisher. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, well, good. So I think we've probably done three podcasts worth of uh, movie. There we go, movie, movie. Just to further reinforce that it is the summertime yes and uh people may actually have time to go out and see movies at least the people who aren't working on the budget but most of the people i talk to are most excited about game of thrones which is which is starting up again in, right in july right so that and is, house of cards should be out should be out people out, should have yeah. binge watched it already yes, exactly yeah exactly and i'm not a house of cards guy though oh i i are you a house I of cards sadly person? am really yes yes 
Are you recommending it? Uh, I, 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 my wife has dropped out. She okay. just thinks it's too dark. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm hanging in there. It's like the dark side of government, right? It's, 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 there's no part of the government I've seen that's that dark. Have, do you watch Veep? I've watched a little Veep. Is Veep there is, any part of government do you think that that's farce? Is that farcical? Uh, I've been in situations <laughs> that are Veep-like. I'm, I've, I can't say I've been in situations that exactly are House that? of Cards-like. Oh. No. And I've definitely been in situations that are Parks and Rec-like. Yes. From my time in local government. Yes. That, I, I, the first episode of Parks and Rec, um, I just had to turn it off because it was so uncomfortably like experiences I had. Yeah. It's very on point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Veep's, this, a, Veep's a little wild and crazy, but there are themes in it where you're like, yeah, I could kind of see something like that happening. Yeah. So um, uh, I'm not sure where we go from House of Cards. Well, you, I thought you raised a really Parks good point Rack. at the end of the first segment, which was... Oh, thank goodness. Yes, you did. We, we talked 14 we, episodes. <laughs> <laughs> we talk, we were, you were talking about the tension of like... Do you plan so so the president's policy is X, okay? And and you're being told by everyone around you uh, that the reality is is that that policy has limited possibility of being enacted. But it is the president's policy. And you raise this kind of notion of this kind of theme that's emerged um, in recent months around the connection between the civ- civilian workforce and the political leadership. And are there disconnects? You know, I think a more optimistic view of it would be there are checks and balances. And there might be questions and concerns around how those checks and balances are being carried out. But I, don't, I see them as kind of checks and balances. And I'd rather um, argue the, um, the fidelity of how they're being carried out whether, than whether they should exist or not. I absolutely think they should exist. But is this one of those things? Is is a, a government agency kind of planning for a budget not likely to pass? Is that uh, is that a problem, or is that the right thing for the government to be doing? No, and I, I think that we. Um, I remember when I was when I was CFO of the Treasury Department, we spent a lot of time coming up with scenarios, the high, middle, and low scenario for what we were going to get out of the appropriation um, versus what our, we knew we weren't going to get our request. Yeah. Right? I mean, we just knew that wasn't going to happen. So it's What's, not anything about a given president. It's, right. it's always your responsibility as the CFO to plan for multiple scenarios. But I, I think in a way, to be honest, my job was easier because I had to plan for a lower number, right? Imagine if you were planning off of a, a shut down the whole shop number, right? Yeah. And imagine if that actually happens, if you haven't made the preparations in advance, if they pass an appropriations bill, you know, a week after the fiscal year started, you have a CR, which is a continuing resolution, which says you keep the essentially the funding you had in the prior fiscal year, and then they show up with a bill that says, "Okay, now shut the whole thing down." Yeah, that's not something you do in a, on a. Well, on no, a that's dime. why I think you prepare for it. I, right. I think it, the question is: in a scarce resource environment, can you balance your planning so that you are um, investing the right amount of resources into the 
this the 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 scenario that might seem unlikely but is still realistic versus the scenario that might be more realistic and these are the judgment calls you need to be making and you don't need to necessarily make them alone i mean you can make them with your leadership so you know if you're the cfo of an agency you might get time with your secretary and your deputy secretary or the senior policy officials that have assembled in your organization and say how you know this is my plan i'm planning to um, invest some time in putting together kind of a critical path for how we would shut down this program or cut it in half because that is the president's policy and i think it's prudent to at least have a plan for it but i'm also investing i'm not investing all of my time in that i'm investing a fair amount of my time in planning for steady state a continuing resolution uh, the same amount of funding and if that's the case, if, 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 if Congress enacts an appropriation and the president signs it, and this program looks and feels the same as it did last time, what are the things we want to do if we're going to live with a program that the president and our policies no longer want? What are the things that I can do in managing the program to make it as best as it could be in the, in the eyes of you, the political official? I think that's a very reasonable conversation to have. And if the political official says, no, just plan for the, for the shutdown of the program, well, then, then you've got your answer in terms of what direction they want to take. I, I think it's actually a very interesting tool, the you know, statement of desire to shut down a program, because regardless of whether it makes it through the appropriations process or not, it certainly is a signal to the staff as to what the priority is. Yes. And, and I imagine that's got to start having people polishing up their LinkedIn profiles and, Not necessarily. and working on their resumes. I'll, I'll push back on that okay, a little bit. Okay, please. I, th- it, it, I think there's different types of government of program terminations. There are program terminations where you're consolidating into another set of – there are redundancies. I mean, look, the GAO comes out with their duplication report – every other year, I think. And that has shows kind of an overlap of different programs did and you, activities. Did you ever really see programs shut down from that report? We certainly recommended them in the president's budget. Okay. So they had to be planned for. Okay. There were certain, I, I think that we used to keep track of how many of the GAO recommendations on duplication we included or matched in the president's budget. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is just because a program is being terminated doesn't necessarily mean that a given administration is, is turning its back on that policy and that type of activities. It may mean that. You have to kind of dig beneath the headline a little bit and assess. Right. It could mean that they're supportive of the policy and the mission of the program. They just want, they just see redundancy and would prefer that that program be implemented through another means. That could mean a smaller footprint of activity, but it doesn't mean no footprint of activity. Look, there's all different um, implications here that need to be, I think, better understood before you just assume that an administration is walking away from a, t- a particular policy or objective. And then, and then, but then again, there are moments where the, an administration is saying, yep, we're no longer in the business of doing X. And that's, um, I don't know that that's a LinkedIn profile moment. It might be, but there's also a lot of these skill sets that government employees have are transferable and where one program area might be shrinking another might be expanding and you know if you're like me you're just a fan of public service and you'll figure out potentially 
different avenues to shift into different areas where where the where the programs are going to be more of a going concern. Well, it, the extreme case is always a lot of fun to play with because it, it, you know that's when you kind of stress test the system. But um, talk a little bit about you know things like appropriations testimony and the and the dance you have to do around that. So you have a program that's proposed for termination in the president's budget. Yeah. You have then the program office, maybe if it's prominent enough, they get to have their own you know, hearing and their own yes. testimony. Um, you have either an appointee or maybe an acting person in that position. Been, been in there both ways. And know? then you have to go in and pro- provide testimony describing, you know, the you know the president's intention, what they're trying to achieve. But there's obviously internal tension within the agency, plus the advocacy community, kind of coming in, uh, bugging you about that testimony as well. Yes. Well, the rule of thumb, I think, is you defend the president's budget. Um, the, you you as, and when you develop that policy. You developed it with an inherent set of justifications uh, that, that are typically explained in the budget, but also are behind the scenes and understanding. Uh, as, as someone who's testified before Congress, if that was my charge, I would do that. But I'd also be prepared to recognize and empathize that, uh, that there's other policy positions out there that are, that are legitimate and credible, and just explain that um, amongst the various paths forward that we can take, we can have good debates about public policy. This is the the path that the president has chosen, and I can make the policy case and the justification for it, and if you afford me the time, I will do it. At the same time, I will also um, recognize that there are arguments on the other side that are valid, but, this, but, you ha- but in a constrained resource environment, you have to choose a path, and this was the path that's chosen, and I'm here to to defend that path, but have a, I'm, I'm open to a dialogue on other views. So the testimony is cleared. The answers to the questions are tend to be more less cleared. That's true. But even if I and look, if I was getting, if I got a question on the record that said you're terminating X program, mm-hmm. and it kind of had like a how dare you, you know, you know, this is going to be very very problematic because of the importance of the program. I think you could strike the same tone. That, that I just struck in my answer, in the written answer. Sure, in the written answer. It's when yes. you're actually sitting in front of Congress. That's when, that's when oh, you really... Oh, I'm not saying that people are going to hug me and say, Danny, that right. was a wonderful answer. Right, right. I'm saying I think true north in this situation is to defend the president's policy, but also to recognize that, um, that this isn't about having a monopoly on the right answer. This is about amongst many various permutations of policy choices out there, this is the one that the president has chosen, and it's justifiable for these reasons. These are my perspectives. Have, have a good, robust policy discussion. Try to draw politics out of it, I think, is always a good place to be when you're in those, those hearings. Because like, may, maybe there's a policy out there that's indefensible. I don't know. Right. But um, but for the most part, in most situations, it's really you shouldn't you shouldn't be waiting to the hearing before you start. No, you uh, should have a good sense of uh, of why you're doing something and 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 how you you choose to defend it. But be respectful. My advice: be respectful of the positions on the other side, because typically all the positions have credibility behind them in some way, shape, or form. They're all typically going after the same mission of trying to improve 
outcomes for Americans and, and for the public. So uh, as we as we dig deeper into the dog days of summer. By the way, we should do a whole podcast on testifying before Congress, do's right. and don'ts. Right. I would love to do that. Not yeah. that I was perfect at it, but I did it a lot. Right. And I and I and I had some 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 good moments and some bad moments and I and I think it'd be interesting. Maybe maybe we could, we could um, get some a guest on test and, yeah. Bob Shea's assertion about the legislative reference division and bring one of those folks or a person who does legislative affairs from an agency yeah. who works on a lot of testimony. Yeah. I mean there's a uh, there's an art form to it, I think, um, in terms of getting up there and taking those those punches. Um, it's very interesting dynamic to be to testify before a hostile Congress. It's a very interesting experience, um, and um, I, I've, I always felt at the end of the day, while they were painful, I always felt honored that I was a part of this amazing process. And even if it meant getting beat up, mm-hmm. and even if it meant people yelling at me, and 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 sometimes personally uh, insulting me, I still thought it was all net positive because just you know, kind of coming up Pennsylvania Avenue, seeing the Capitol in the distance, sure. it's like still pinch yourself that you get to be a part of this process. Yeah, I I described it as like studying for a bar exam and an SAT exam. Every time I went to the Hill, I I, I just crammed tried to oh so me too and the and the work then the agency would do behind preparing someone was actually very clarifying and useful for the agency because it forced them to crystallize their view on an issue or a question and it it could be an action forcing event within the administration about what is our stand on xyz yes and so you would go through that clearance process and you'd fight over you know whether there was a semicolon or a comma on on a response, but it was really really important then because those answers would be the answers you used going forward, and they'd have wide circulation. Yeah, I think there are parts of the process of congressional hearings and testimony that are uh, not all that um, positive in terms of contributing to better policy outcomes, but a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. A lot of the questions I, I can I can remember the thing prepping getting someone asking me a practice question and saying, and being paused into silence and saying, what is the answer to that? That's a right. great question. Why don't we have a good answer? Why don't I have a good answer to that question? Well, and, I've, and I can think of that happening in a hearing. You know, why don't, I, I can think of a particular example. Um, w- there was a requirement, I think, in one of the versions of the Government Performance Results Act that, that OMB produce a, a, a universal list of all government programs, and we couldn't do it. Mm. And I remember, I remember like getting up there, and Senator Coburn was like grilling right. me right. on why it just, and it, there was no good answer to it. Right. And I remember going back like a little bit miserable because I just got my butt kicked in a hearing, um, but also going back to the OMB team and saying it's a really, really important question. Right. And I, 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 any way I answer it other than we can do it sounds like a, an excuse that that the American people and the public aren't going to understand. Why can't we have why, – why tomorrow can't I put together a list of programs? That seems insane. Um, but that's an example of something that's a good – hearing question and it's embarrassing for the person testifying if you don't have a good answer but it also raises fundamental questions about how the work that we're doing and how we're doing things if we can't answer that type of basic question what does that thing cause like the unified 
uniform guide of federal programs or something. Yeah, I remember as a I budget think they can do it now. But back when I, used I was to have to edit it for each when I, of the when agencies. When I was testifying, we there was a particular way Congress was asking for the program list, and there was this, like I got briefed for multiple times on why the answer to the question is no, we can't produce that list. And when I went up there and testified, it just, as it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, this sounds terrible. It sounds like a terrible <laughs> I don't explanation. Like this answer. Yeah, I don't like this answer. And That's Coburn, why they sent you. Coburn wasn't shy about letting me have it. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't even think Senator Carper, who always tried to rescue me from Senator Coburn, could even rescue me at that right. moment. It was just. Right. He was like, I agree with the. <laughs> yeah, this is really bad, Danny. Uh, this answer's not that good. So. All right. So, um, what are the what are your uh, what are your big um, how are you going to get ready for the fall? What are some of your some what are some of the exercises are you going to read? Well, up I think on we mentioned that. Oh, me? Gonna, yeah. Oh, reading and and well, I'll probably watch Game of Thrones. Okay. I don't know how relevant that will be to no. to government, but I hope it isn't at all. Yeah, I hope so too. But it's a good it's a good show, and I think it's coming up on its right. on its last set up. Uh, I'm seeing Hamilton in oh, a few wow. weeks. So that's definitely, I think, going to yeah. be informative. I hope. I mean, it's got an I amazing reputation. I got to get my kids through college before I can afford. Well, that. I got like face value tickets. Nice. Like, wow. yeah, like I went online like the moment they went on sale, like way wow. back in November. And even though I went online the moment they went on sale, it's still the first available was like three rows from the top in late July. I don't think I'm going to get to see them until they start touring with cats. They're going to come to DC. Okay. Yeah, they're going to be at the, yeah, at but the you had to Kennedy like, Center. Yeah, but you had to, I think, buy a wing to the Kennedy That's Center. That's true. To, <laughs> you don't know, you any, to, like, you don't know anyone who's rich who bought a wing? Name a column of the uh, Kennedy yeah, Center. Yeah, exactly. You, well, I'll tell you if it's worth it. I'm super okay. excited about I'm sure it. It's, I'm pretty sure it's worth it. That's everyone. I, can, I think the reputation is unbelievable. And the hype is pretty high, so we'll see. That's right. I'm waiting for the spinoffs, like the musical about Adams. Well, there's or, the HBO series on Adams, yeah, which is super good. Yeah. I love all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. But I'm talking about rap musicals. Rap musicals. Maybe on, we'll work on one. Maybe they need to move. Maybe they, that, that founding fathers, maybe they need uh, to move like Civil War. Like, or, or to like the Lincoln. forgotten presidents, like Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore is definitely a forgotten Grover president. Grover Cleveland. Yes. James Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of that, in t- that middle yes. period. Franklin Pierce. Right. Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. Yeah, we could do this all. I can there do. There are a bunch yes. of there are about ten of these we could do. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Um, well, this is great. Yeah. Uh, I uh, we, have a, we have more guests coming. More. Right. It's going to be interesting as we head into fall. Hopefully, that we won't have a government shutdown. But if there's a risk of one. We will break down exactly what that means. And, and we've gotten some suggestions from people to, uh, we need to get someone from the judiciary on. We need to yes. go drag someone from the Hill into this conversation. So lots to do yet. So yes, uh, rest up, come back tanned, rested, and ready. For those of you who are working in the boiler room of government, thank you for your, thank your, you service, for your service, keeping, Absolutely. It, keeping the ship of state going. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.